the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 1035. Thanks for being with us this morning on AM 1420. The Answer. We'll come back to the police stories in just a bit. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more to talk about there. Between the situation that happened in um, Tremont that we told you about with the uh, civilian review boards getting involved, um, in uh, in actual police arrests as they take place to what President Trump said. We'll talk about all of that coming up in just a bit. But I'm going to welcome our guest to the program now. Excuse me. <clears throat> Zach Elliott is an author, uh, and he is a producer of animated videos and articles and books on sex and gender. He's the founder of P- uh, Paradox, in- uh, Paradox Institute, which is a parenting research and commentary company on sex and gender in these animated videos, articles, and books. There's a website, which I've watched several of the videos already, called theparadoxinstitute.com, theparadoxinstitute.com. And the author of Binary, Zach Elliott, joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Zach, good morning. How are you? Hey, Bob. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor. It's it's a pleasure to have you. You know, we've been um, fighting... This culture war, which is, you know, I guess as simple of a way to say it as anything else, this ongoing um, transing of America through social contagion, which is mm-hmm. what I truly believe is going on here, because you know more than anybody or as well as anybody because of all of the work that you guys have done, you and your team studying the science of, gen- the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of gender and of, uh, uh, and of sex. Um, and the subtitle of your book, Binary, is Debunking the Sex Spectrum Myth. So uh-huh. let's, let's start right there, because I think this is, this is exactly where the problem lies, this belief or yeah. this intent to convince people, even if they don't believe in it, but there is a, there's an agenda here to convince people that mm-hmm. sex is not binary, that there is a spectrum and a range of different things that people can be when it comes to their sex and their gender. So, yeah. Tell me what is the sex spectrum myth that you are intending to debunk? So the sex spectrum is the idea that male and female exist on a continuum and that they are completely socially constructed, so we can't reliably define them. And then also that somebody's sense of self, their internal sense of self, should define what sex is. And this has actually been pushed by biomedical scientists, by science magazines, and it's surprising because it's it completely denies what the primary biology literature says about what sexes are and how they're universally defined across, well, across species and within humans. And this idea is really popular because it makes it seem like that we can just identify as we please, and it seems to kind of speak to the the natural diversity that we do see across species and within humans, but it, it completely lands on the wrong conclusion. So I can go into a little bit more detail about how the sexes are defined, but that's basically what the sex spectrum myth is. 
I do want you to go into more detail, but before we do that, too, and I probably should have asked this first, too, you are the founder and you're the editor-in-chief of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, the Paradox Institute, and you're an author. What's your background, though? Do you have a degree in science, or is this something you needed to have, or can you just uh, research mm-hmm. the stuff on your own? So my formal education will surprise people. It's actually in architecture, but during architecture school, I wound up doing many years of research and writing on sex differences and now i've been doing this research and writing for seven years and i've collaborated with phd biologists and i've also informally trained in reading and evaluating scientific literature so part of my job is also compiling and citing scientific literature for our uh, content that's directly backed up by evidence-based sources and it you don't need a formal degree to do writing and research in a field, but it just takes a lot of time with reading. You have to spend time and sit down, read literature, talk to actual PhD level biologists in the field and get acquainted with the terminology and the fundamentals. And that just takes a lot of years. And writing has helped me tremendously by taking that peer-reviewed research and then compiling it and talking about it and learning it so that I can actually teach it to the public. So I agree with you 100%. You do not need to have that formal degree in order to be, you know, to mm-hmm. become an expert and be proficient at discussing these things. If you are willing to study, you don't have to spend $150,000 studying. You can do it on your own. So good for you. Uh, I, I support that. But having said that, um, I, I just have to ask of why? Why did? How does an architecture student, uh, you know, f- suddenly become so fascinated that he literally spends years of his life reading and studying, you know, things such as human biology and human sexuality and chromosomal science and so forth? Well, I've always been interested in uh, biology. I took a, a AP biology course in high school and and then got really interested in in college specifically about sex differences because of the uh, social political issues surrounding sex differences and this. I was fascinated with this denial of male and female and the denial of our differences that we see and, and this denial that they're important at all. And I also saw this uh, so many people being canceled or thrown off of jobs because they dared to speak out about important differences between males and females and, and why they matter in terms of like understanding how to actually get more women in certain fields or get more men in certain fields. and. And what do you think is driving? What do you think so. is driving that, Zach? What do you think is driving this uh, intent to erase the differences between between males and females? Well, there's there's multiple things. You can look back into the 80s and 90s with so-called queer theory, which is an academic theory which <laughs> seeks to subvert and dismantle every norm in society. And male and female is they're one of those important norms. And I think power is one thing people want power over others, and they want to uh, deconstruct these important foundational aspects of our biology and about who we are to uh, gain power over people. There's also a push to medicalize people and, and provide them with cross-sex hormones and, and all this money you know, at, this, at the core of trying to change people's bodies to this, this image that they think that they can reach, which is actually unreachable. And so there's a lot of aspects of that going on as well. We're talking with uh, Zach Elliott. He is the author of a book called Binary, Debunking the Sex Spectrum Myth. And he's also uh, the head of um, the Paradox Institute. You have a ton of videos 
and uh, mm-hmm. they're they're very informative. I've watched a few of them. Uh, there, some of them are lengthy, and some of them are a little complex. I think you do a great job of you and your team of trying to to break them down to make them understandable to somebody who didn't spend mm-hmm. the last seven years studying science in the way that you have, um, which is good. So I'm going to ask you more general questions than the specifics <clears throat> um, contained in the videos and in the research research you have done. But let me just start with, how do you respond to a person who, like Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, who literally says, no, you don't understand. For years and years and years, I've known in my head that I am a female. My body doesn't match, mm-hmm. but I'm a female. And finally, you know, public figure, you know, the TV, first the Olympics, of course, and then the, you know, the Kardashian whole thing, and then the revelation that I've been dressing in women's clothes privately for years. I really have mm-hmm. been born in the wrong body. So that happens. Do you, yeah. is it your position, Zach, that there is no such thing as somebody being born in the wrong body? How do you respond to a person like Caitlyn Jenner? Correct. So there, there is no actual science to back up the claim that someone can be born in the wrong body. That's positing a metaphysical idea, and it's unfalsifiable. So the actual research in terms of the brain shows that, yes, there are sex differences on average between males and females in the brain, but you can't have a brain that mismatches your body. Your brain is a part of your body, and it's integrated into your entire nervous system. And so what people will sometimes claim is that, oh, my hormone profile in the womb, I was exposed to unusual hormones that then changed my brain and made it, gave me this condition. Well, there's been many studies on that, and they've shown that After you control for sexual orientation, being heterosexual or homosexual, those differences in the brains of people who identify as trans, those differences go away. So the actual only differences that are are maintained across both uh, homosexual trans individuals and heterosexual trans individuals are regions in the brain involved in self-perception. So they found that there's weakened connections in those regions where these people who identify as trans don't see themselves accurately as they actually are. And so that's a neurological indicator of something going on. Now, are they born with it? It's unclear. Uh, it's, can it be something that is learned? Absolutely. So it just, it just depends. We don't know what the exact cause is, but we do know that giving somebody cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers and telling them that they actually are the opposite sex is not going to help their psychological condition it's going to make it worse because they are moving further and further away from reality and they can they can't actually change their biology into the opposite sex one of the videos uh, on the paradox institute website which i strongly encourage people to look at and share and watch as much as you can and there's a ton but you have uh, a video called sex versus gender Again, dumb it down for us non-scientists, and and ex- you know, I, I think most of us try to explain this in our own way that there is a difference between sex and gender, uh, uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. but the, the reality is there are still only males and females. So how do you address sex right. versus gender? So sex is basically defined by the difference in gamete size or your sex cells, so eggs or sperm. So if you develop anatomy that's organized around sperm, you're male. If you develop anatomy organized around eggs your female, and that applies across plants, that applies across all these animal species, and, of course, humans. When it comes to gender, it's, you can, it can be thought of as more of the social and behavioral aspects within sex. So differences that exist between males and females on behavior, on the social level, in terms of how you express yourself, 
But ultimately, gender is tied back to sex. So they're not exactly the same, but they are uh, linked in an important way. So what the activists try to do is detach those two completely so that they can then say, well, my sex is male, but my gender is actually a woman. But that is not how it works at all. Gender is just the behavioral or social differences within males and females that exist in in society. And those can be caused by biology. They can be caused by socialization or a mix of the two. And so that's the fundamental difference. Is it it oversimplification for me to say gender is simply personality? No, I think that's a huge aspect of it. I don't think that's an oversimplification. Because you talked about social behavior and you know, you know, and and, and so forth. In, uh, when it comes to gender, it's it's your it's your behavior, it's your it's your uh, expressions, and so on and so forth. And I just feel like that just means personality, and that doesn't mean that there aren't males with more feminine right. st- uh, type personalities, right? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean there aren't females with more male, masculine uh, personalities. And sometimes right. yeah. those things. And this is where I want you to kind of go with this is sometimes they seem to manifest themselves in homosexuality. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to not be use anything as pejorative when I talk about these things. But, um, you know, a female who is more gruff, who likes to wear her mm-hmm. hair really, really short and, and, and who likes more physical demanding types of things, whether it be for fun or for work or for whatever. Uh, and they also happen to be lesbian. Is there a connection mm-hmm. between the, you know, homosexuality uh, and and this this personality or this gender aspect that you're talking about? Yeah. So a big portion of what I studied was actually average sex differences in personality and and how they how it forms, you know, a bell curve where you have a distribution and you have a female average and a male average, and you can see all this variation. And with people who are homosexual, yes, oftentimes, uh, for example, a female who's a lesbian, their personality is often more masculine. Not always, but on yeah. average, that those are some of the things that you can see. And likewise, with a, a male who happens to be feminine, he might not be homosexual. It could just be feminine and, and straight, but oftentimes you'll see more feminine men who are uh, homosexual. So... Yeah, it's just an average difference there that you'll see. It's a variation. And it doesn't mean that you're not male or female. It just means that you have, you know, traits that might be atypical for males and females. But you're still defined by that difference in, in gamete size as male or female, you know, depending on what uh, gamete you provide in reproduction, basically. What, what we're talking to Zach Elliott. Zach Elliott uh, is the author of a book called Binary um, that I'm very much looking forward to reading myself. Right now, I only have some information to skim from, uh, but I but I love what I've gathered off of the website, which is theparadoxinstitute.com. One more question on homosexuality, um, and before we get back to the 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 trans issue and the changing of sexes and the male sex, mm-hmm. or excuse me, the male male body and the female mind, etc. Where do you come down on the age-old question of born that way when it comes to homosexuality? Mm-hmm. So I think somewhat there's good evidence to show that uh, sexual orientation is affected by prenatal hormone levels. So there's been a meta-analysis or a large review of multiple studies showing that there's a big correlation between the amount of testosterone that a fetus, regardless of whether they're male or female, receives in the womb and how that impacts the sexual orientation. So, for example, a a female fetus who is exposed to higher levels of testosterone than what's typical, there are more chances that she will grow up to be homosexual than heterosexual. Now, of course,
causal. We're not sure if it's directly causal, but there is that strong correlation. So that's one aspect. Uh, there's also the aspect of, I think your upbringing can impact it to a degree. And of course it can, you know, just like any behavior that can be impacted by um, society as well. But uh, when it comes to sexual orientation, there's definitely a big component, I think, of, of biology and, and hormone exposure. So I mentioned social contagion when I introduced you because I think that is what is driving this trans agenda. It is certainly not a mm-hmm. massive, massive spike in people who are afflicted with uh, gender dysphoria. Uh, I think the numbers have been, you know, less than one-tenth of one percent of the general population is actually gender dysphoric, where they have a psychological condition that doesn't allow them to reconcile their their their, their mind with their body. And suddenly now it's, you know, 20 percent of Gen Z is transing. So there's a social contagion on that. Yeah. Is there also a social contagion for homosexuality? Is there is there a part of the LGBTQ massive, you know, alphabet there that says people, mm-hmm. in order to get some, some cred and some clout in 2023 America, particularly in Gen Z, I've got to be something different than a straight white mm-hmm. person, for example. I've got to find a way to be something else in order to be accepted and to be popular and to be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to fit in. So is there a social contagion to just join one of those letters, even if it's just gay or, uh, you know? Oh, yeah, lesbian? I think it's, I think that's part of it. We know that, well, first of all, we know that homosexuality and gender dysphoria, they, they're, they are very different fundamentally, and they, uh, one is more fixed for sure. When it comes to like sexual orientation than than gender dysphoria, but there is the element of identifying with those labels and identifying with homosexuality or being being gay or being bi uh, or being any of these additional orientations that they like to add, like like pansexual things like that, and that is a huge aspect of it. And um, same thing with gender dysphoria. I think many people are identifying that way because they they feel like they don't fit in. They feel like that they want to identify with something that's bigger than themselves, and they feel like that this gives them this special marker, this special identity, and that applies across the board, across the LGBTQ uh, you know, alphabet. <laughs> and I, I do want to say that when it comes to LGB specifically, it is important to recognize that while people who are LGB almost always, they don't see themselves as identifying that way. It's just their behavior, in terms of their sexual behavior. But when it comes to uh, T, trans, you know, that is by and large just self-identification. You know, I, I'm, I'm a male, but I just identify as, as a woman. And there's, it might not be attached to behavior at all. Just complete, complete self-identification with no objective markers. So... I've heard a lot of people say that there's a problem with calling the LGBTQ XYZ community a community because they're not. They're not all together. Mm-hmm. They're not yeah. a community. They're a bunch of separate communities. In other words, the LGs and Bs, largely, there's a group called Gays Against Groomers that don't want uh, mm-hmm. trans people trying to groom young young kids into changing their genders or changing their mm-hmm. sex and undergoing the cross-sex hormones and the whole nine yards. They don't want anything to do with the T. Are you starting to see more of that? And is that... Uh, is that the way we eventually start to try to come back to normalcy here? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that in the past few years. It's just exploded with so many people who are lesbians, who are gay or bisexual, regardless of political affiliation, just uh, coming out in huge support for the idea that sex is real and binary and that gender identity is just a construct 
and a dangerous construct, you know, telling kids that they're actually born in the wrong body. And it's, it's good to see that there's people, all political affiliations doing this. And when I came into this, I, I didn't know that there was so many different aspects to the left side of the political spectrum where they are actually, a lot of them are pushing back against this as well. So it's good to see a lot of groups across the board doing that. So I'm going to throw a layup to you here. <clears throat> this is an easy one, uh, I think, for you, but I want people to hear it. Um, some who are part of the trans movement and, uh, you know, the spectrum, the sex spectrum, say that, well, if there was a binary and it was only male or only female, then how would there be intersex people? You have people mm-hmm. who have both sets of genitalia. Clearly, uh, there's not just a binary. A binary, There is room for third options. How do you explain that? So intersex, it's important to say, it's a a misnomer term that they use to describe a bunch of different unique uh, disorders that impact a person's sex development. And so that could impact the chromosomes to the sex chromosomes they have. So you might see a person who has, instead of XX or XY, like you normally see, you might see a person with XXY or a person with just X. Well, these people still develop a reproductive anatomy that's organized around either sperm or eggs. No human has ever been born that's been observed to have both sets of genitalia. And so, for example, XXY, that's called Klinefelter syndrome. It's where a male has an extra X chromosome. But he still develops anatomy, uh, testes and penis that are involved in, in sperm production and release. And the only way that we can treat uh, someone like, like a male who has Klinefelter syndrome, the only way we can treat him is first by knowing what his sex is, because his sex will impact his reproductive fertility, his hormone levels, and all these different body tissues. And so when they say that people are in between, they're conflating this kind of variation in in genetic disorders or variation in even how people's bodies look with there being a continuum between male and female. But the sexes are more about than just what somebody's body or genitalia looks like you know it's about the reproductive function mm-hmm. the the provision of either sperm or eggs and so that's so important to understand that they love to conflate all these different things body type genetics chromosomes but they're ignoring the fundamental definition of sex they have to detach sex from reproduction for them to be successful that's, the, that's the, really the key to understand. That's a, that's a very, very good explanation. The entire thing is, is very well explained. I want to point out to people who may be listening to us, any listeners right now, <clears throat> wondering, well, who is this guy? He admitted he's not a scientist. He went to school for architecture, so he reads a lot. You do more than that. You cite all of your sources. I'm looking at the um, mm-hmm. one of the video screens <clears throat> about what we were just talking about, is intersex a third sex? And I, there's no less than seven sources cited just for this one particular video and the information presented therein from obstetrics and gynecology uh, to genetics to molecular brain research, all of this stuff is cited there, every scientific source. So this is not just somebody's opinion. This is researched as well as science can be mm-hmm. researched in each of yeah. these. I think that's very important for people to know. I and, do want uh, to say, too, that yeah. with any article we write, any piece <clears throat> of video, especially ones that are really focused on the science, mm-hmm. they everything is thoroughly cited and and even we have oftentimes in-text citations. So those are useful for seeing which citation matches with which claim that we're making. So you can go search that for yourself as well. One article that we wrote on 
uh, a sex spectrum, dis- dismantling a sex spectrum argument. One article, we had 40 uh, peer-reviewed sources and with in-text citations for each claim. So it's thoroughly backed up by scientific evidence. And I think yeah. people will appreciate that because they'll be able to look it up for themselves and learn more as well. Well, I do. I certainly do. I'm, I'm a layman, but, but this is as thorough of scientific research as I have seen compiled in one place about this very, very important issue. So I want everybody to know this is not just an opinion book. This is scientifically researched and sourced and cited, and you should really check it out. It's called Binary by Zachary Elliott, debunking the, me- the sex spectrum myth. And I want to send you to the website one more time, theparadoxinstitute.com. TheParadoxInstitute.com. Research it for yourself. Watch some of the videos. Learn a little bit about what has been done here. Zachary, I wish we had more time. This is a very short interview. Um, I'd like to schedule a much longer one with you at some point because I think there's a lot of stuff to be learned here by a lot of people. So thank you. Best of luck with the book, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Bob. Thank you. Zachary Elliott joining us. We'll take a time out now, top of the hour, and come back on Always Right Radio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.